0: Alan Chewes is a book critic for NPR's All Things Considered. He's a writer and a novelist. His latest novel is To Catch the Lightning, and his newest book is a collection of travel essays titled A Trance After Breakfast. Thank you for joining me, Alan.
1: Great pleasure, Ray.
0: So let's talk about money, money, Money. and more money.
1: Money, money, money. (laughs) Money and fiction. Those two things don't usually go together unless you're one of the four or five big money-making writers. But... um, you know writers have always loved writing about people with money um you know Dreiser focused on the financier who becomes the titan and you know that great Philadelphia uh streetcar magnate, and uh you know Lewis Auchincloss, who just died uh last week, you know, wrote splendidly about the money to class of New York. In the obituary, he said something very funny. He was quoted as saying saying something very funny. He says, uh, people, critics keep saying, I, I write about a lost world. He said, have you seen the waiting list for such and such a club and such and such a prep school? He said, lost? He said, it's right outside my window right now.
0: <laughs> uh, maybe a world with a little bit more exclusive interest uh, entrance uh, fees than uh, rather than lost.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that's who Dominic Dunn writes about in his this posthumously published novel, Too Much Money, about the, the fading New York aristocracy and uh, the, a lot of the new money people who are coming up through the ranks, trying to depose the the beastly rich. Um, and, and I found that to be very enjoyable reading. Um, I mean, he's very sharp and sharp-tongued, and uh, knows exactly uh, the not just the class of people, but particular people that he skewers uh, in this novel. He, you know, he he really kind of takes the place of uh, Capote, who, uh, in in that last novel of his, answered prayers, mm-hmm. Capote tries to deal with the, the the greatly rich of New York and Long Island. Uh, Dunn really plays that role in this novel. Alas, he's gone. Money can't buy you everything. Um,
0: Apparently not.
1: And, and in, in this new novel by Jonathan D. called The Privileges, mm-hmm. which is actually gets its title from uh, a, a garage band that uh, one of the children of this family, uh it, it gives it gives it a name to um the band he calls the band the, the Privileges. um and that's quite uh i thought it was quite a, a beautifully made book and rather delicious it's about this uh couple called Adam and Cynthia Morey M O R E Y that's almost the, like the Eor and right? mm-hmm. uh,
0: and they're they're almost a <laughs> <laughs> as moral as a moral, heel in some yeah. Way. They they're madly
1: in love. They it opens with a scene where um, the, the scene of their wedding, and where the, the wedding party gets drunker and drunker and trashes this little uh, Pittsburgh hotel. By the time the the event is over, and they go on to he he goes on to work for a small you know in, in investment firm in Manhattan and becomes the golden boy of the owner. And he starts to work uh, some shady deals and begins to make tons and tons of money uh, illegally. And uh, you'd think you keep reading this book, waiting for him to fall, but he doesn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a neat little turn of the plot that this, this couple just rises higher and higher. And, uh, you know, Dee is really a uh, good writer when it comes to the details of. Of uh, New York, moneyed life.
0: Well, I think it's interesting how uh, both of these novels address ki- kind of uh, the the nouveau riche. Yeah, and, and yeah. I mean, it seems it makes uh, earning your money the old-fashioned way by inheriting it seem uh, like the high moral road.
1: Yes, well, I I, I don't know how that works, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, there's an, another novel that. Uh, that I think is worth the attention of people who, who want to read on this subject. It's a new novel called Union Atlantic by Adam Haslett. Yeah, a, yeah, a, a prize story winner, uh, writer. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is another novel about a young guy. This, in this case, it's a, a Navy veteran, a mm-hmm. g- Gulf War veteran, who uh, a guy named Doug Fanning, who rises very high, very quickly in this Boston bank. Mm-hmm. And, the same time he begins this uh, disturbing affair with a, a high school boy in the town where he's building his, you a know, kind of neo-modern castle uh, out of all this money. And um, I, I don't want to give the plot away, but let's just say it's a slightly different plot turn than The Privileges. Mm. Um, but again, another terrific new novel about uh, the new money.
0: It's interesting, too, that um, the way these novels kind of, I think, hook readers who don't have money, and that's going to be probably the majority of the people who read these books, mm-hmm. is is <clears throat> by providing us with, the you know, the up-and-coming, you know, give us an, a, a means of entry so that we're not completely excluded. It's not like we're just uh, shown the inside of the plush rooms as, you know, uh, either guests or... Uh, Or, you know, the help, we we actually get to enter these rooms from from a a perspective that's somewhat familiar to to us. Yeah. Uh, I mean,
1: anybody can make this money if they Mm -hmm. just spend 24 hours a day doing it and seem to be willing to uh, make a few little illegal twists. If they don't get compensated very well.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So long as you're not, you have no qualms selling your soul at some level or another, you're you're pretty well assured, you, right. And
1: we all should remind everyone that um, as we speak, Bernie Madoff is uh, probably cleaning toilets in the, in the in prison. Um,
0: <laughs> we hope.
1: Right. So to go from um, money to love, uh, the wonderful kind of kitschy, but very entertaining novel by a Turkish writer. Her name is Elif Shafak, and uh, she's written this novel called *The Forty Rules of Love*. And she, by the way, she writes her novels in Turkish and then writes her own English versions. Oh,
0: it. really? That's yeah. very interesting. Um,
1: and uh, I, I loved her the first novel of hers that she did in English called *The Bastard of Istanbul*. Mm-hmm. And uh, this one is just as entertaining. It, and it, it's uh, kind of dual. There's a novel within the novel. Mm-hmm. Um, the main narrative has this 40 something uh, housewife from uh, Boston suburbs. Yeah,
0: she, I
1: guess she's, she's, you know, from, North, maybe she's from Northampton, um, who who is reading for a publisher in Boston. Uh, she's a publisher's reader, and she they give her this manuscript called Sacred B- Sweet Blasphemy. And uh, it's a novel about Rumi the 13th century Persian poet, and his great friendship, this friendship that stands out against all times, friendship with the Sufi mystic Shams, and um, she's reading this novel, and as she's reading, it's changing her life. I mean, she's sort of fallen out of love with her husband, and her kids are driving her crazy, and... Uh, as she's reading, she begins to develop a deep affection for the writer of this novel about Rumi and Shams. It gets psychologically kind of intricate, and um, it, the, the, the narrative within the narrative builds to that point where, uh, I mean, we're not giving anything away since this is history. That you know, uh, Rumi be, be goes from being great teacher to great poet, and Shams is. Uh, Attacked by the conservative uh, um, Muslims of uh, in, in Turkey in the town of Konya, where they're living at the time, and he's murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, and this turns this housewife's life around. Just about the same time.
0: Well, I, one thing I liked about this novel, I thought it had a nice, uh, nuanced uh, view uh, of suburban life, and in, in somewhat in contrast to the other three. Books we, we talked about it had a you know it gave us uh, a view uh, of a rich suburban life in our life that that's just every bit as emotionally rich and rewarding and complicated as anything that people swimming in millions of dollars have yeah and, yeah. and, and the the contrast between that and the interplay between that and the historical narrative I think is a it gives that. Enriches that that, that uh, portrait and gives us an idea that you know we In ways know that what money t- can't buy, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you never know what what's going to work out historically. Who's going to end up being the subject of a novel?
1: It's interesting to think about these novels uh, and against uh, the, the background of uh, Richard Yates's Revolutionary Road, which um, never really. Decides whether it's satire or praise. Uh, I mean, it's a truly ironic book, and I think uh, Yeats' model is probably Madame Bovary, but it's a style that he doesn't really perfect until his uh, wonderful book called The Easter Parade, Mm -hmm. where he knows that these people are pathetic and he pities them, whereas he... He has some affection for the characters in Revolutionary Road, which kind of messes up the tone. <laughs> so people might argue with that.
0: Well, it, it it strikes me, uh, too, that, you know, uh, again, against the the backdrop uh, of what is essentially the closest thing to the, uh, the Great Depression that we hope to experience to see all these m- novels um, that are so... Intricately concerned with our economic yeah. uh, status. I mean, it's um, st- like a, a new genre of fiction.
1: Yeah, I think that's a that's that's a, 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 a sharp thing to say about this. I mean, it. I mean, there is that old rule that you know, comedies come into the movie theaters when you know people are terribly depressed financially, and there's war going on, and uh, the serious, tragic, complicated. Psychological films uh, come about in times of prosperity, mm-hmm. so there there's some kind of there is some kind of tendency or trend here at work, which I hardly ever I hardly ever think about trends because I, I don't know how to predict them or even identify them but here clearly you can identify this uh, you know some of our really sharp novelists are working in this realm of money, yeah. even as people very little to spend.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's an intre- it, That that is an interesting contrast. It is like the, the comedies during wartime. Yeah. Now, uh, we also were going to talk about uh, a TC Boyle collection. Right. Yeah. You know, I
1: you know I I am just amazed at at his output. It's about about almost ten years ago. I think that um, his collected stories came out, and this is now the fourth. Volume since those collected stories came out.
0: Really, that's and, yeah. And he's an he's so amazingly versatile, and yet you can always identify a TC Boyle story. Ha,
1: yeah. You know, how how help me? How would you describe the what are the characteristics of the Boyle star as you see
0: them? Um, there uh, there's a kind of a. a a sharpness to to everything he writes. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, It's like he assembles uh, portraits of people out of leftover exacto blades. (laughs) (laughs) Even if he loves his characters, and he often does, Mm -hmm. there seems to be very, like I I would say, a sharp edge, and that edge cuts both ways. Sometimes the stories are very tragic and and very moving, and other times they're very funny, and often they're both in the same breath, which I think is his greatest... uh, Abilities to write something that's that's quite tragic, yet also will make you sputter with laughter periodically. Yeah, the,
1: the sentences
0: are very sharp.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he he can't seem to make a bad sentence. Um, I mean, the opening story in this collection, Balto. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that that is a pathetic story about this uh, young girl who is called to testify in a in a. Court case against her own father because he allowed her to take the wheel of the car because he was drunk from lunch, <laughs> um, and she has to decide. It comes right down to the very last moment as to whether she's going to testify, lie in its favor, or testify, uh, give the, offer the truth about the situation. It, and and th- that's an unusually poignant story. I mean, he tends toward the comedic, mm-hmm. but in in this collection, there, are, as you said, there are just as many serious and and sympathetic characters as there are and, uh, people that he likes to skewer. And,
0: and he seems to like to put people through this kind of uh, what what I would call the personal apocalypse. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, he likes to be bring people's w- personal worlds to the verge of complete annihilation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and in this collection, he plays that. Both ways, both for for laughs sometimes, and, and other times for you know just uh, as you say the Balto, where <clears throat> you know the 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 tragedy is is all too real. <laughs> and and uh, for for example, I, I really like the Wild Child too, just because one of the things that's it's nice to see somebody working in a novella length, yeah, going back and forth because um, we. We do see some writers writing short stories, although it seems close to being an endangered species these days. And we see a lot of novels, but and I think there's a lot to be done with novellas, in that in that length and form. And to, to it gives you enough the reader enough time to relax and absorb and get immersed in the world of the story, as opposed to just kind of. Uh, dive in and out, which is where a lot of these go. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, the 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 novella, The Wild Child, is very interesting because you know he has a, a couple of uh, books that he works from: the biographies mm-hmm. of this uh, feral boy who um, appeared in France towards the end of the eighteenth century. Um, is it 18th century? Yes, I think we're, I mean, it's on the verge of the 19th century, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. that this occurs. And um, the, so the material is all there, known in the public domain, and he just turns everything ever so slightly so that, um, you know, we're reading this as, as if we're just finding out about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about this child who, as, as you know, is... Finds it impossible to be integrated into society, Um,
0: permanent outsider.
1: Kind of, you know, which is a psychological state. I think Boyle is really sympathetic to.
0: Yeah, Uh, and and, and I I think old hippie that he is. Yeah, I also think too that this this uh, uh, novella gets him into a a comfort zone uh, of his, you know, uh, recreated historical. Uh, Situations, which he does very well, yes, and he you can, um, he loves that kind of evoking all the detail, and he knows really knows how to evoke the period and the detail. Not going overboard; it doesn't seem like you're reading the results of a research paper, right? Um, He's really gets he manages to turn the history. He gets the story out of the history,
1: but he doesn't. I mean, there's but there's this patina of. It's kind of a sheen that he puts on all of it. Almost like you're getting history boutique. Uh, I mean, because he really turns it in for his own um, his own pleasure mm-hmm. and for the purposes of making a story rather than making history. And so exactly. It's, so it's always quite interesting. Actually, on the subject of uh, the feral child, there's I, I watched an extraordinary movie the other night, Paul Schrader movie called Adam Resurrected. Jeff Goldblum plays a deranged uh, uh, pre-World War II Berlin Jewish Berlin uh, comedian who loses his family in the camps, and, and the, most of the movie. There are some flashbacks to the camps, but most of the movie takes place in this uh, bizarre psychoanal- psychoanalytic institute in the middle of the desert in Israel. And there's a feral boy. Who's in this room barking like a dog? And and uh, the Goldblum character makes the boy his project. It, it's a fascinating movie. Adam Resurrected. I mm. recommend it. If you're starving after reading the Boyle for another feral character.
0: Or, or you can always go back to uh, the Francois Truffaut, L'Enfant Sauvage. That's right. 1970. It's that, a little
1: more romantic than Boyle's. But oh. Boyle's is c- quite clinical. Mm-hmm. So,
0: Oh, that's something he does well. He's, um, he's interested in uh, kind of the, the science of things, and he's good at, at uh, putting things in that kind of organized perspective, I guess, so that you think, he can kind you of wrap your a, brain around it. You think
1: he's ever going to write a science fiction novel?
0: Uh, I, he wrote one kind, sort of, but it wasn't. It was you know, kind of a post environmental apocalypse.
1: Oh, right. That's sort of set in the near, you know. The, yeah. The, yes.
0: No, I'd like him to. I'd actually set in the near,
1: in the near future. Uh,
0: I'd love to see Boyle get out there and write something in the vein of Philip K. Dick. I think he could do it really well. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, there's, you know, Rick Moody has a science fiction novel. It's Coming out, or I don't know what you'll call it, satires coming out in uh, June, I think.
0: Oh well, we'll... It's called
1: the Four Fingers of Death, about a hand from outer space that mm. comes to, falls to Earth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to reading it. Seven hundred
0: pages. Seven hundred pages, boy, that sounds pretty entertaining. The uh, uh, who was I talking to the other day? Who uh, I guess it was Charlie Houston. Mm-hmm. I was talking to him about Sleepless, and uh, I was asking him if he thought we were. Uh, currently living in a dystopia, mm-hmm. and his response was that no, it, it's more like a a badly plotted Philip K. Dick novel. <laughs> I just
1: uh, reviewed that last night on uh, All Things Considered.
0: Oh well, I it was it's such a superbly written novel. I think a lot more uh, uh, complicated and literary than you might yeah. at first uh, assume when you look, say, near future, etc., etc. I mean, really. Uh, it's a novel I think that will stand up for a long time to come. And he told me as well his next novel, which will be an espionage novel, I believe, huh. he's going to pursue this kind of style, which is rather different from his other stuff. Mm-hmm. Though I would highly recommend you pick up uh, Already Dead. It's okay. It's the first book in his vampire noir series. You'll read it in the night. It's, it's a scream. Okay. It's an absolute scream.
1: And I'm also going to go on and read some new uh, thrillers, uh, Henning Mankell. And uh, Joe Nesbo, Scandinavian thriller writer. Oh,
0: yeah, Joe Nesbo, yes, that, that sounds good. And, and uh, I'm gonna pick up uh, I've got just got the bell ringers, and so uh-huh. maybe next time around we'll be talking about thrillers. Yeah, and I, I think
1: I'll read Once in Spy also.
0: Yeah, that's that is very entertaining. I'm, I'm sure we'll both enjoy it. I've been speaking. Alan Shoes. He's the critic for NPR's All Things Considered. His latest novel is To Catch the Lightning. His latest collection of travel essays is A Trance After Breakfast. Thank you for joining me, Alan. Great pleasure again, Bye -bye. Bye.